Hi, I'm Matthew Kind. Every Monday, look for a fresh new episode where I'll take you behind the scenes and interview the insiders that are shaping the rapidly evolving cannabis industry. Learn more at cannainsider.com. That's C-A-N-N-A insider.com. Now here's your program. The products that are being purchased in cannabis retail stores are changing. The most successful cannabis companies will adapt and look ahead or be left behind. To help ensure we stay on the right side of this equation, I've invited on Cy Scott, co-founder of Headset, to give us a briefing on what is selling in cannabis dispensaries right now. Cy, welcome back to Can Insider. It's great to be back. Give us a sense of geography. Where are you sitting today? I am in sunny Seattle today. Actually, we've had three days of sunshine, which is pretty rare for this part of the world. Oh, that's great. And for new listeners, can you tell us what Headset is on a high level? Sure. We're a data and analytics company focused on the cannabis industry, uh, primarily retail-derived data. So we work with retailers and dispensaries all over the U.S. and Canada to source our data. Uh, we normalize it and provide it in an aggregate format to deliver market intelligence to customers so that they can make informed decisions around the cannabis category, whether that's really understanding the opportunity in the space, finding um, you know, what the competitive landscape looks like or their brand position. So if they're in market with a brand, they can really measure you know, how they're performing and make sure they maintain that spot that they have. Okay. And you have a really interesting background as originally a co-founder of Leafly and now co-founder of Headset. How have you seen the industry change since you co-founded Leafly? Well, it's certainly night and day. So just to give you a sense of time, you know, we're here in 2021. Uh, we started Leafly back in 2010 uh, down in California. Uh, it was medical at the time and really saw this proliferation of dispensaries popping up and different strains being available and not a lot of good information out there for consumers to really understand the differences between the variety of strains. So we created that platform to, to help demystify cannabis for more of a mainstream audience. And that was, uh, you know, 10 years ago, 11 years ago soon. And uh, so certainly very different. I mean, just the fact that it was a medical only market and there were no adult use markets is probably the, the most notable change at the time. Um, you know, now we've got a large number of adult use as well as more medical markets. You've got more sophisticated operators. You've got more investment capital that's come into the category than ever before. You've got smarter and smarter people uh, coming in. So certainly is uh, just very, very different than, um, you know, when we started. Yeah, there was probably still a stigma back then a little bit. Uh, was there a stigma 2010? Yeah, certainly. You know, when we would talk about Leafly, um, we, myself and my co-founders, you know, we would say kind of, you know, we're in the cannabis industry, but, you know, we're not doing any sort of plant touching work. And um, a lot of that was because of the stigma. You know, we really emphasize we're a technology company, you know, just so happened to be targeting, you know, this category of, of products, uh, but not, um, again, you know, producing any sort of Right. You got to qualify it. Always qualifying. I'm the squeaky, I'm on the squeaky clean end of the spectrum. (laughs) That's right. That's right. And, and a lot of the feedback was, you know, that's, you know, interesting. And I can see, you know, why that might be something you're thinking about. And, and then you fast forward to today where, you know, when, when I mentioned the cannabis industry, there's no qualification needed and people want to know how to get involved. Yeah. Yeah. It is a huge change. So cannabis beverages have been talked about for a long time, but now it seems like they might be having their breakout moment. Where are we and what's changed there? 
Yeah, cannabis beverages are a relatively small category when you look at total dollar sales uh, in in the cannabis industry, but it is growing. Um, I, I think it's a start with that it's a very complicated product to produce. You've got, um, you know, the when you think about the cannabis categories, you've got things like flour and pre-rolls that, you know, people are very familiar with. So flour, you know, just dried flour, you purchase in you know, a certain weight for a certain strain. It doesn't take a lot of um, production. It's not really a, it is a package good, but it's not a package good in, in the sense of, of something like a beverage. So I think it's harder for brands to come to market with a beverage. Um, you know, edibles, people are pretty familiar with edibles and, you know, beverages are, are similar to edibles in the sense that, you know, that's a familiar format, but there weren't very many beverage companies, um, you know, really playing in the category in the different markets. So I think that's partly why, you know, the sales are, are relatively a small percentage of the total dollar spent. Now it is changing. Um, you're getting a lot of interesting things happening, whether that's Paps Blue Ribbon uh, branding a cannabis-infused seltzer in in markets like California. Um, you've got uh, Lagunitas branded Hi-Fi hops. Um, you know, just to to name a couple. You know, commonly associated with the beer industry coming into the cannabis category. But you also have uh, other uh, cannabis first brands that are really kind of taking a, a unique look at the category. And I think it is bringing some people into cannabis that might have not come in because the things like flour pre rolls might not resonate with a you know, a new consumer, but when they see a beverage that looks like something like a, a seltzer, like a white claw or truly that they're used to seeing and purchasing at the grocery store, that's a, you know, a, a more gentle entry into the cannabis space than maybe something like, um, a pre-roll or a vapor pen, or even, even an edible, you know, with some of the stigma, you know, everyone has this story of, you know, eating a, a brownie that's too potent. So, um, you know, having, having beverages, you know, is, is, is a nice way to bring people into the category. And I think it's the people that are already in the category already purchasing cannabis. I think having more options and different types of beverages is really driving some of the growth that we're seeing. So um, you talked about a tonic there or a seltzer. I'm thinking of can uh, the brand can CA and then, and we've had the founder Luke Anderson on the show, really popular cannabis beverage in California, low, uh, I think it's like two milligrams per can. Gwyneth Paltrow just made an investment in them. And now the multi-state operator or MSO GTI, Green Thumb Industries, has made an investment in CAN. What do you think about a big MSO making an investment in a brand like this? Yeah, I think um, it's very interesting and and pretty clever. Uh, so GTI in particular didn't have a beverage in their brand portfolio. So they, they work closely with um, other types of product manufacturers, whether it's edibles or vapor pen companies. And so this, this is their first uh, play into beverages. So uh, can was an excellent choice, I think, for them. You know, the two milligram per drink approach, you know, can is really positioned it as something like a lifestyle kind of consumption where you can maybe have one, two or three even, and, you know, really kind of is socially enjoy this versus maybe a hundred milligram beverage, which, you know, it can be quite, quite intense for a lot of people. And, um, you know, hundred milligram beverages sometimes in the past even came with things like, um, like a medicine topper where it's like a medicine cap, right? So you could pour out just the, the right amount of dosage. And that's not really a social experience if you think about it, you know, compared to something like can. So I think it's very clever for, for GTI to, to make that arrangement. Now, 
Another challenge in the cannabis industry is the fragmentation, you know, state by state um, fragmentation. And GTI, as a multi-state operator, has a footprint in a large number of states with production capabilities, retail capabilities, and so on. So, CAN is able to leverage that network and really get in front of a lot of consumers in a relatively straightforward way. You know, if they were to do it on their own, they'd have to, you know, find different license holders in those markets that have the production capability and the consistency. And you, you see companies do that, you know, with different operators in different markets and they license to different different players. But the nice thing for CAN is that GTI is one operator and has one footprint. And so you can get that consistency. And you can also get that exposure. You know, I think a lot about the kind of companies that are going to be around for the decades to come the brands that, you know, everybody is familiar with and, you know, can, could very well be that brand because of this, um, the access that all of a sudden you can have. Like if you were, I lost you. I lost you. So are you still there? Oh no, I'm, I'm here. Oh no. Okay. No, uh, go, go, keep going. Sorry okay. about that. I'll let it out. No, no, no. Okay. Great. Um, if you think about, you know, asking a consumer in any different markets, what they think about when they, you know, what brand do you think about when you think about alcohol or, or seltzer, you know, you'll probably hear White Claw, you'll probably hear Truly. And that's because it's available everywhere. Now, if, if White Claw wasn't available in, if it was only available in one state and you ask someone in, in outside of that state, they wouldn't know that brand. So I think Can has a real opportunity to become synonymous with, with the cannabis beverage category through a partnership like GTI. And GTI gets access to a brand that is really doing very well in its home state of California and um, is well positioned for kind of a broad consumer audience. I think about, you know, can specifically in that they're priced pretty high, like a light luxury good, but they have a low THC concentration. And I'm like, is this accessible to everybody? Or is it more like an iPhone where um, the iPhone is like, represents a tiny sliver compared to Google Android and the whole world, but they make almost all the profit. <laughs> so they're, they're, they're the minority of the market share, but they make almost entire, like over 80% of the profit compared to Google, what they make on, you know, handsets. So do you think that's what's happening here? I mean, they have, they have uh, maybe not the biggest market share, but they have the biggest profit margin. What do you think about that? Yes, I think can is a is quite an expensive product on a per milligram of THC basis. A lot of that has to do with, you know, when you when you look at equivalized pricing, which is just a per milligram uh, price point for for cannabis, can because they're two milligrams per pack or per per can, you get, you know, you have to have the can. There's the cost, there's the the cost of all the liquid and, and the, the ingredients that go into it, where you get um, you know, a similar a beverage that might come in a hundred milligram, but it's one can or one bottle. So prices are just inevitably cheaper. Now with someone like GTI, they can probably get economies of scale and drive that price down. I don't know, you know, how competitive some of those GTI markets that they're in are, you know, California is a very competitive market, a lot of retailers, a lot of brands, but some of the markets that GTI is in are relatively, you know, um, limited license and not competitive. So an Apple model where they are premium priced might make a lot of sense. Okay. Now let's talk about I'm kind of on a drink fixation here, so you'll have to bear with me. Now, when someone does buy a cannabis drink at a retailer, what other things are in their basket? Yeah, it's it's a great question. So, you know, I mentioned cannabis or cannabis beverage sales are about one percent of um, you know total total sales. Now, when you look at 
actually total percentage of customers, about 6% going on 7% of customers have purchased a cannabis beverage. So that's, you know, close to one out of 10 people have purchased a beverage. Now, you know, they might not be purchasing it very frequently. Um, they might be purchasing other products, you know, with more frequency. And so it's, it's a great question when you think about, you know, the, the basket, you know, what does a basket look like? And it's a great way to think about it. you're at the grocery store and you know, you're, you're purchasing your, your milk and your eggs, and maybe you throw in a, a Coke at the checkout or a, you know, a pack of gum, what have you. And, and we find that beverages is, is kind of very similar to that. So when we look at, um, you know, what, what's called cross category attachment rates, it's kind of a a fancy way of saying, you know, what else do people purchase when they purchase beverages? Well, when they purchase beverages, you know, in, in that basket, one out of five baskets are are beverage only. So that means, you know, about 20% are only purchasing a beverage. Now, when you look at other categories, the, the cat, the, the product category that sells the most frequently with beverages is edibles. So, you know, out of every basket that has a beverage, about a third of those baskets have an edible product, which makes sense. You know, they're very similar formats, you know, very much a consumer package, good format, a drink and, you know, some like a candy, you know, it could be a chocolate or could be a gummy type edible product. Um, after that you get, you know, flour in about, you know, 25, 26% of baskets that have a beverage include flour. Then it's not surprising, you know, flour does 40, 50% of all of cannabis sales. And so it's the most popular format. So I can imagine a scenario where someone is driven you know, to the category for flour. And as they're at the checkout, the, the beverage could be a throw in. They might want to try something because they see uh, a Lagunitas or they see a Paps Blue Ribbon or a canned beverage on the shelf. And they say, hey, why don't I try that? So that's kind of the, the common, you know, frequency the, you know, every category is in, you know, these baskets in, in some capacity, but really most often beverages are sold with edibles, flour, uh, and pre-rolls usually when people purchase those beverages. So it's a good impulse purchase. What you, you have it right there, maybe by cans and refrigerator as you're checking out or even not in a refrigerator. What I guess you probably have them in the fridge, but what else, uh, what else is kind of an impulse buy? Do you think of anything else as like a, like a dog walker or you can't really have those out. I'm trying to think what, what are else are impulse purchases? Yeah, I think, um, the dog walker is a good example, like a low, um, price pre-roll, you know, the single pack pre-rolls are often, you know, the most frequently purchased by like a younger consumer. And that's really because of price pressure. And so when I think about throw-ins, usually it's, you know, not a big decision. It's a, a few dollars here or there. So I could see something like that being kind of a throw in uh, to, to, you know, your purchase where your beverages are less of a throw in. They're a bit more expensive, but, you know, something that people might want to try, especially with these new brands like Can, you know, coming to market. And you can see that, you know, being maybe less of a, a financial reason to try it's cheap and I don't have to think about it, but more of a, Hey, this is a kind of a emerging category within cannabis. Let's, let's see how this is and, and what that's like. So I'll throw in a beverage. Now let's turn to another super popular category, vapor pens and specifically, specifically in California, it seems like it's a huge business, but it's not equally represented by all generations or age cohorts. Can you just talk about that a little bit? Yeah, um, you know, vapor pen, the, the category of cannabis that is vapor pens in California actually do really well. And I think they're the number two selling category. So first you have flour and then you have vapor pen. Um, 
it's, it's pretty interesting. In, in other markets, I think, you know, generally the number two category is pre-roll. Uh, vapor bins aren't that far behind, but they seem very popular in, in California. And I think that's driven by a couple factors. You know, one, um, it's, it's a newer market, a newer adult use market than maybe some of the more mature adult use markets like Colorado and Washington. So when, you know, California legalized, you had a situation where you know, brands, the vapor pin companies kind of had, had a good head start kind of looking at, you know, Washington, Colorado, and they kind of came to market right away. Where in a market like Washington state, where I'm at here in Seattle, you know, the vapor pin category is pretty small when, when the stores start opening up, it took a while for them to start appearing. So there's still a growing category with California was kind of day one, great representation of vapor pins. So that's one, I think, reason. Another um, is kind of generation. I think, in, in you know, you mentioned not not all vapor pen consumers are the same. I think vapor pens really seem to resonate with a younger audience, particularly millennials and, and younger. So millennials and Generation Z. Although millennials aren't aren't as young as they used to be. I think the oldest millennials turning forty this year, oh, uh, which is crazy to think about. Uh, but they do seem to um, resonate with that category a bit more than than some of the older generations like Generation X and and right. baby boomers and so on. So I think, you know, the Generation Z in particular seems to really resonate. Now, the problem with that is that uh, vapor pen cartridges may be a bit more expensive than, um, you know, other, other categories. And for Generation Z that are so, you know, as I say, wallet conscious, you know, just have so much they can spend on cannabis, you know, vapor pen may be kind of a luxury item for them. Now that's changing in California. Um, actually relatively recently, um, just, uh, just last week, I don't know the, the parent company, which may be familiar that that was a, a recent, uh, publicly listed company. One of these cannabis SPACs that came to market with uh, Jay Z's involvement introduced a new $25, a single gram cartridge, which is extremely inexpensive when you think about, um, you know, single gram cartridges for vapor pens, because normally single gram cartridges go between like $45 and $60. So to come to market with a $25 product, I think it's going to be really interesting. So you may see even more growth in that younger, younger category in a market like California, where products like that are being introduced. So expect, you know, to see these numbers change. It'll be great to look back if we, if we do a, a conversation like this a year from now, what the, what the landscape looks like at that point. Now, how about 420 this year? What are you expecting and anything different from previous years? Yeah, I think 420, um, you know, being the biggest sales day of the year for the cannabis category will be, again, pretty unique this year. I think we'll see a lot of the same patterns that we saw last year, particularly around um, it, it being spread out over a number of days. You know, last year, the I think it, at this time last year, we were worried that the stores, whether adult use cannabis retailers or medical dispensaries were even going to be allowed to operate. You know, they they were deemed essential businesses in all markets, which is, you know, fantastic. Certain markets like Nevada, you know, really had a, had a slowdown because of um, tourism impact and all that. But uh, just the fact that they were able to stay open was, was huge, especially, you know, the pandemic was really just ramping at this time. And, um, you know, this is the biggest sales day for a lot of these retailers. So what we ended up seeing last year is, is I think what we're going to see a lot of this year, which is spreading out the 420 kind of sales day across an entire week. And a lot of that has to do with, you know, social distancing and making sure that, you know, you don't, you know, over uh, exceed capacity at these retailers. Like no one wants to be in a big crowd, you know, these days, you know, especially in a, in maybe a small retailer store, 
or waiting in line. So they, they have been spreading these deals out quite a bit. And I think we're going to see the same thing. And when you when you look at the the total sales data, I mean, every year it continues to grow. You know, last year I think was a little lighter than the year prior, but some of that was due to some of the the um, pandemic purchasing patterns that happened in the beginning when we weren't sure if the stores were going to be open. A lot of people rushed to the cannabis retailers and purchased a significant amount of products uh, to make sure that they had enough supply should everything get shut down. And so, you know, people probably had a lot rolling into, you know, the April 20th holiday. Uh, this year may be a bit different. I think if they spread it out over, you know, a number of days, like they did last year, I think you're going to see just in- increased sales. I mean, market over market, you know, every market that has the legal cannabis framework, we saw growth in 2020. And I expect no different in 2021, even while we're still in the midst of this unfortunate pandemic. Yeah, you mentioned Jay-Z, and I know actor Seth Rogen has created a brand called Houseplant. How much do you think these celebrity-led brands actually boost sales? Is that a thing? You know, it's it's maybe maybe not so much. I think I think it maybe varies on the brand. Um, it, you know, when we look at the data for brands like Marley Natural or Willie's Reserve, you know, they they do fine, but it's not like they're out performing a lot of the other brands and, and often they're not the number one, um, you know, best-selling brand in, in the markets that they're in. So in that capacity, you know, maybe not the biggest driver of sales, I think a good marketing exercise and a good way to kind of differentiate, you know, it is getting very crowded out there. There are a lot of brands being introduced every day. And so, you know, having a celebrity behind your brand, could be a way to kind of cut through that noise um, yeah, in a bit more, right? And especially if that the celebrity is is really tied to the brand and, and passionate about the brand. You know, with with um, Jay-Z and the parent company, you know, Jay-Z is associated more or less with their monogram uh, product line and the uh, Fun Uncle brand, which was part of a Kaliva, which is part of the, the it's a retail group in, in California that became part of the parent company in this, in this merger of, of different brands, uh, really runs, you know, fun uncle. And, um, I don't know how much impact Jay-Z has on that. Maybe had a lot, maybe, maybe didn't, but, uh, very different than the monogram positioning. So in that sense, you know, not totally sure the jury's out. Now I would, I would say there are exceptions. I think houseplant, um, in Seth Rogen, you know, kind of made a big splash a couple of weeks back. Uh, you know, houseplant has been available in Canada through canopy growth for some time, but Canada, uh, you know, for those that aren't in Canada, it has a very restrictive packaging re- restrictions um, or requirements, I should say, around you know the the size of the logo and how you can position it, and the the amount of THC that can be in you know the different um, you know edibles and, and so on. And it did okay up there, um, but Canopy Growth was really responsible for you know the flower quality and all that. Um, and you know, different people had different different opinions on the brand now houseplants coming to California. And I, I think it's going to be a bit different. And I think that's f- for a couple of reasons, you know, one, um, you know, Seth Rogen and uh, his, his group seem very involved in the rollout in California, even talking about, you know, going with a direct consumer model where in California there is delivery and you can order online and get it delivered, which is really great. And direct to consumer, when we think about just retail in general is becoming a bigger and bigger channel. Uh, you know, people are purchasing brands that are sold direct to consumer. And so, you know, houseplant being direct to consumer with a good delivery network gives them, you know, nice advantages there. And, you know, Seth Rogen is, is particularly passionate about, um, 
about cannabis. Uh, you know, if you look at any of his, his Twitter posts around this houseplant introduction, he says it's the greatest thing he's done in his life. Um, you know, and he's well accomplished actor and and producer and writer, and to to come out and say that this is the thing he's most proud of is is pretty incredible. And I think sometimes that passion comes through. Um, you know, hopefully that comes through into the product and comes through into their their success. So I think that's a big reason um, why they'll be successful. Also, um, you know, they're doing something kind of interesting, um, and they're introducing a house line of products, a house goods line of products. So things like uh, lighters, um, things like ashtrays that um, they can sell anywhere. And they're all very, you know, high design, mid-century modern design. It's like restoration Um, hardware meets cannabis accessories. Exactly, exactly. They even did some vinyl uh, LP records um, that were for sale. And so when you think about brand building and you think about trying to create a mass market brand in cannabis, it is hard because of the fragmentation and the availability. And Houseplant, you know, is available in Canada and it's available in California and that's it. So a consumer in Colorado consumer in, you know, New York soon, um, you know, won't have access to houseplant flower, but what they can do is buy all the houseplant accessories. And when the houseplant team does go to New York and start selling their products, they have a, a, a customer base that already exists that have just been waiting patiently for these products. So I think you're going to see a lot of success from that strategy. They're not the first one to do it. Marley natural did it long, long ago, um, in, in California with like, um, different types of, of, accessories that were very high end, um, which, you know, was, was kind of their, their play at the time, you know, Marley natural brand is positioned as a high end brand. I don't know, you know, the Bob Marley audience, if they're more of the high end audience, I'm sure there's, there are people, uh, that, that are, have more high end tastes with these things, but they're very expensive products. And I, I think it, it did okay. Now that's all part of the parent company, the Jay-Z group that we're talking about, but houseplant, I think the time is right. I think, they're very motivated. Uh, they're very passionate about the category. They care about the strains. They care about the flower quality that they're bringing to market. And this house good line, I think that's a great example of a celebrity brand that is going to do very well. Huh. And you mentioned earlier about you know the market. There's a lot of competition. How hard is it for brands to get shelf space as a at a cannabis retailer? Do you hear complaints from a lot of brands, or do you hear interesting tactics or strategies? Yeah, it is. It is harder and harder. Um, there, it's like shelf space and it's like share of sales and um, what's called skew rationalization. And really, that's that's kind of the next phase of of the battle here for for these brands, these product manufacturers. It used to be, you know, just a handful of years ago, you'd produce a, a new product and you could get it on on the shelf. You can get it carried by the retailer, and you know, you you'd have some success. And that's very different now. Um, you know, the, the industry is maturing. Um, you know, it's getting more competitive out there and more more challenging for brands to to come in and, and get that shelf space. So I think it's harder to create a new brand and come to market than it's ever been. Not that um, <clears throat> it's not, you know, it's still a great time. I, I always kind of joke, there's like never been a better time to come into the cannabis industry. I still believe that. And I think they're, they're, it's still wide open. Like we're talking about beverages and, you know, one to 2% of the category sales, like it's still wide open. You know, when you look at a beverage like can, you know, over indexes to female uh, consumers and to, to millennial females, it's, it's very much like a Gwyneth Paltrow brand. And I think, you know, White Claw was very similar when it first started, you know, very female uh, attractive product. It's seltzer. It's not a beer. 
Um, but White Claw was very clever in some of their marketing. Uh, if, if you remember any of that, like the no laws when drinking claws, kind of, kind of ridiculous <laughs> campaign, but uh, it worked, right? And it kind of shifted this perception of this drink is a, a more of a feminine product, um, you know, to attract a female audience. And this this can be you know, consumed by, by guys just as easily. And I think a brand like Can has an opportunity there. Um, you know, certainly, you know, males are purchasing can, but, but it definitely over index female. So when we talk about, you know, a new brand coming to market, I think, you know, there's room there for that to be more of a white claw, more of a brand that, that, that is attractive to both. And, you know, is a, is a low dose two milligram and you can have two, three of them at a party and so on. So it's, it's still, it's still, the book is still being written and I think there's still opportunity, but it is harder. And for brands that are in market now, um, you know, what they're doing and, and what's I think really important for them to do is to go to new retailers. So if they're trying to get more distribution or, or take their success from a, the, their current retail distribution and, and, and move into other retailers, really bring the data with them, right. And say, you know, when I'm at this store, this is our, this is how our brand performs. And working with your store, um, you know, having a relationship with the stores that you're in to really understand that. And that that's that's critical. And, and they're already working with the stores with things like in-store promotion, where they'll go in and, and they'll set up and they'll educate consumers as they come through. Because marketing and cannabis is hard. The channels are limited. Advertising is limited. Uh, so often you have to kind of meet the consumers where they are. So, you know, many of them have relationships with retailers, really understanding, you know, how your product is, is performing at those retailers and taking that data with you, you know, and, and coming from a data and analytics business and, and working with a lot of retailers and a lot of brands, we see this happening now. And it's powerful, right? If you walk into a retailer and you said, you know, when I'm at this store, their sales increased by X. Um, and it was expansion revenue, you know, not cannibalization of, of these other SKUs that you might carry you know, then it makes it easy for the retailer to say, well, I will take a bet on this brand and I'll, I'll bring you in. And then you measure that, right? And you, you show them how it is performing and then you get more and more shelf space and you, you create further relationships. So that's something like an advantage that brands that are in market might have versus brands that are, are just kind of coming to market. That's a bit harder when you're just getting started. But even when you're just getting started, you know, find those stores that are willing to carry your products and, and really, you know, start with how you position your new product and market and, and how it's different and how, you know, it's, it's either priced differently or positioned differently, marketed differently. And, um, you know, that, that may open some doors because there, there's still a lot of white space, uh, plenty of white space. Uh, and then once you open those doors, you know, look at the data, look at the numbers and look at how you're performing at retailers versus, you know, the overall category that you're in um, versus, you know, competitive brands. And then take that data to other stores and, and go get that shelf space. Yeah, this is so fun because there's most of the things I talk about are subjective, but this is actually objective. We have data we can look at and we could say this is what's actually happening, boots on the ground in certain markets. Um, this is probably a good time to talk about the benefits of using headset because there might be some business owners out there or some investors that are saying, hey, if we're moving forward with this brand, we need to know you know, where the puck is headed, what's going on, um, what the market share is and what the competition's doing and all those things. So why don't you just mention kind of the primary benefits for brands, investors, whoever might use headset to, to using it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we have a couple of different services um, kind of split into our, our retail and dispensary services um, and then our market intelligence services. So for the retailers and dispensaries uh, in particular, we provide a lot of tools, um, primarily business intelligence and analytics around their own data. 
um, as well as market data in the context of benchmarking. We, we do layer that in, but really to help with, um, you know, optimizing those stores to understanding, you know, the, the thing we were just talking about, like your SKU assortment and do you, are you carrying the right products? You know, when you, when you carry 20% of your brands are driving 80% of your, your store sales, what brands should you divest from? What brands should you continue to invest in? Um, tools around, you know, marketing. So you can measure your marketing ROI. So when you you are spending, you know, marketing dollars out there, is it driving new customers? What do those customers look like? What's their lifetime value for those customers? Um, you know, helping you with customer retention. So being able to uh, text consumers that might be your most loyal consumers that are going to churn out and move on. Um, that's all tools that Headset provides based on the analytics um, that we have that can really help businesses like retailers and dispensaries in particular, you know, optimize and, and just be more successful by leveraging their data. And we try and make it really easy. So really going beyond just kind of your top line sales and, and, and digging in and understanding, you know, how can you really make your, your brand perform? And one of the things, you know, we're very, you know, our mission is to uh, have cannabis be a, a ultimately a successful can- category by you know empowering the operators to make more um, informed decisions and ultimately be more successful. This industry won't be successful if if the retailers and dispensaries aren't successful or the brands aren't successful. So we're very motivated to bring the kind of tools um, to enable that success. Now. We also, you know, the cannabis operators and retailers and dispensaries are, it's a spectrum, you know, you have the mom and pop small businesses and you have these MSOs like GTI and we work with all of them. And, um, you know, that's a, a great thing. So if you're a smaller store, our tools work just as well um, and are, are leveraged by some of these big multi-state operators. So it really helps level the playing field a bit as you're looking at, you know, the, the cannabis industry and what's ahead and you know, all this, you know, potential consolidation that may be coming as some of these bigger operators grow. And if you're a bigger operator, you know, trying to do a lot of this with your own teams, um, you know, building out analytics teams is very costly, right? And so our tools, you know, really streamline a lot of that. So you can spend your money on on marketing and driving more customers, opening more stores, less on having to uh, analyze all your data because it is, it is pretty time consuming. So that's on the retail side, the dispensary side. And then our market intelligence side, um, you know, this is where we see, you know, you know, the percentage of female consumers that are purchasing can. Um, we provide a service called Headset Insights. Um, our customer base is really made up of cannabis operators. So the brands, product manufacturers, distributors uh, that want to understand the competitive landscape, they want to find that opportunity if they're going to introduce a new beverage, how to position it uh, by looking at the data. Um, you know, It's a very powerful tool for them there. We also uh, have a lot of non-endemic clients as well. So clients that aren't you know, license holders in the cannabis space. So financial services companies like hedge funds and banks that are making investments into the cannabis uh, industry and really need to know, you know what, what they're investing into. And they, they leverage our market data for that. Um, you know, other types of companies like consumer packaged goods companies, beverage alcohol or tobacco companies buy our data as well. So uh, it's, a, it's a broad spectrum of, of types of companies that can get, you know, some great um, insights from our market intelligence data. That's kind of how we look at it. And a lot of um, the market intelligence data is uh, freely available on our website. So I encourage people to, to visit us at headset.io. Um, you can sign up for what we call Insights Pulse, which is a higher level market data, but you can get you know insights into most adult use and uh, medical markets in the U.S. and Canada uh, at no cost. And so you can understand these category trends, like how how our beverage is performing in Canada versus um, the U.S., where they're actually selling a bit better in Canada, um, all at no cost. And we have got great industry reports as well. So about once a month, um, we publish you know something interesting. We actually recently did a beverage report that covers a lot of this on on Can and and Lagunitas and others. Um, that goes into some depth 
uh, all freely available. So I encourage uh, all your listeners to go check us out at headset.io. Great. Well, Sai, just a few personal development questions before we wrap. What is one time waster that still goes on in business that you would love to stop doing? Um, yeah, for, for, I guess, you know, I hope we don't have too many of them here at headset. Uh, for me personally, when I think about a time waster, um, something that just seems to, to take a lot of time, something that's so simple as scheduling, um, sounds ridiculous, but, but it does like, you know, just in this remote world that we're all in, um, and just scheduling calls, even internally uh, and externally. And when you have to have, you know, multiple people from your team, it can be quite challenging uh, to do scheduling. So that's uh, something that, uh, is tough. There are tools out there that will help with that. Um, you know, where you can share calendars and, and people can, can block time. Um, there, there is also etiquette and, and there's some strong opinions around things like usage of tools where it's like, drop something on my calendar. Um, I, I right. do think it makes a lot of sense to, you know, the amount of time I have to spend in a day, just kind of looking at my calendar, looking at others' calendars, <laughs> trying to find time is, is crazy. And, um, you know, we're a 50 person company, uh, growing quickly and I don't have an admin and I, I don't think I need an admin, but sometimes with scheduling, I feel like, you know, could use an admin, but I know, you know, that's, that's kind of a lot of the pain and a lot of what, what admins help out with, but it is, does seem like it's a small enough problem, doesn't warrant it. And so I continue to have this problem. So it's one of those things I'd love to stop doing, but I just don't think I should stop doing yet. Uh, and I really wish the world would just embrace some of these, these software tools. It really is a funny etiquette thing. Um, just email etiquette thing. It's so ridiculous, but, uh, some people get really, really frustrated if you just send a, a link to a calendar and say, you know, put something on my calendar, um, yeah. versus the kind of back and forth, you know, three emails with timeframes and all, yes. all the above. So yes. I, in the, in the virtual world, you'd think we'd get there, but, um, still, still a ways to go. So kind of a goofy thing, but for sure, one of those things I'd love to stop doing. What's one song that makes you sing out loud when it comes on the radio or whatever on Spotify? All right, radio. It's <laughs> funny. Um, uh, you know, gosh, I'm not, I'm not one to kind of belt out singing. I, you know, <laughs> it's a good question. I think sometimes, you know, a good old David Bowie uh, classic, I find myself singing along. Maybe someone like The Clash, um, you know, same thing. I can't think of a, you know, singular song. Uh, some of probably the, the notable hits, you know, I might find myself doing that. Um, and it's kind of top of mind. Somehow when we did Spotify, I I'm, I'm ended up down this rabbit hole of a 70s road trip playlist somehow. And I've really been enjoying that. I'm, I don't know where it comes from. I'm, I, you know, it's not, I didn't grow up in the 70s. I was born in the very end of the 70s, uh, but uh, for whatever reason. And so that's kind of top of mind, some of the David Bowie stuff. I might, might catch myself singing to some of those uh, those classics like uh, Ziggy Stardust. Yeah, mine, any Lionel Richie song that comes on instance is like, not only do I sing it, but it's then it's stuck in my head for the rest of the day. That's a good one. Lionel Richie, maybe Hall & Oates. There's probably some 80s ones too, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, that that are good. Maybe that's my next eighties road trip playlist. I need to, to look up on Spotify as I, as I go through the decades. Oh, there you go. And f final question here, Sai. if you could construct a day of just fun activities that have no constructive or educational or business value whatsoever, just for fun, what would that day look like? Yeah. Those, those days are a dream. Just to, 
your mind can't even wrap around answering a hypothetical <laughs> about it. It's so it's so far from reality. I know, I know. It's 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 all balanced. You got to make time for that stuff. I think um, probably right now, maybe with the pandemic and everything, just going to museums. Uh, you know, here in Seattle. We've got we've got a great uh, you know assortment of museums, whether it's the Seattle Art Museum or the Museum of Flight, um, you know, really cool stuff. And I just I just love kind of spending a day, um, you know, an afternoon wandering around, you know, looking at the exhibits and just you know it gives you something to focus on um, and kind of takes your mind off other things. And uh, you know, haven't frankly, I didn't do it enough in, in pre-pandemic times, and and now that is just not available. Although, you know, they are starting to, to open up on, on the limited, limited scheduling. So, um, might have to go do that. So I think, I think something like that, um, would certainly be what I would like to do. Good, good way, good way to spend the day. Uh, you know, no, no business value, maybe constructive, you know, educationally, um, yeah. but, uh, but yeah, just a nice, nice day. So I'll have to, I'll have to look into that. Sai, you mentioned Headset IO is your website. You also are writing on Medium now. Where do we find you on Medium? Yeah, yeah, that's a new thing for me. Um, so I've been writing essays on Medium at um, medium.com slash cannabis-package-goods. Um, you might be able to search you know, my name and cannabis-packaged-goods. It's kind of a play on consumer-packaged-goods. Um, I'm really writing, you know, I, I do think there's a lot of interesting stories like the can GTI story, the houseplant story. These are things that um, I've, I've talked about or written about recently. I think it's a really, really interesting thing that we're seeing develop, you know, this emerging cannabis category and particularly kind of the CPG overlap or the consumer packaged goods overlap and how it's turning into, you know, very similar to, you know, an alcohol type industry or grocery type industry. You know, if you ever go to like a Total Wine or a Beverages and More, Bevmo, um, you know, that's what cannabis will be, you know, in the not too distant future. So writing about that uh, on Medium and and it's really been fun. Uh, I think, I, you know, I like to to think that I'm I'm documenting the emergence of brands that we will be talking about decades from now, kind of like if this was the, the 20s and I was writing about Anheuser-Busch and Budweiser so um, really cool and really cool to see how they're leveraging the playbook that um, for value creation uh, for consumer packaged goods and how that can be utilized in cannabis. But at the same time, the CPG industry is really struggling um, with some growth challenges, the traditional CPG industry. And a lot of that's due to different re reasons like Generation Z, um, kind of having a different uh, mindset around the brands that they choose. And they're not looking for the tried and true brands and a little more disruptive. Um, and I think some of these these disruptions that are happening in CPG are actually accelerants for cannabis. So I'm kind of covering that uh, on a weekly basis. So so check it out there. Uh, take a look. Uh, always welcome any feedback. Um, it's it, you know leveraging headset data and kind of some insights into the CPG world and, and kind of marrying those two things together. So you can find me there on Medium Cannabis Package Goods uh, and also Headset.io uh, where you can get access to a lot of our our market intelligence that we kind of talked about in this conversation. Well, Sai, thanks so much for coming on. Please make time to go to the museum next year when we have you on the show. We'll do a scorecard, see how you did with your 420 estimations and celebrity estimations and see if you went to the museum and had a fun day. So thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for educating us and good luck with the rest of 2021. Thanks for having me. 
If you enjoyed the show today, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever app you might be using to listen to the show. Every five-star review helps us to bring the best guest to you. Learn more at canninsider.com forward slash iTunes. What are the five disruptive trends that will impact the cannabis industry in the next five years? Find out with your free report at cannainsider.com forward slash trends. Have a suggestion for an awesome guest on Canna Insider? Simply send us an email at feedback at cannainsider.com. We'd love to hear from you. Please do not take any information from Canna Insider or its guests as medical advice. Contact your licensed physician before taking cannabis or using it for medical treatments. Promotional consideration may be provided by select guests, advertisers, or companies featured in Canna Insider. Lastly, the host or guests on Canna Insider may or may not invest in the companies or entrepreneurs profiled on the show. Please consult your licensed financial advisor before making any investment decisions. Final disclosure to see if you're still paying attention. This little whistle jingle you're listening to will get stuck in your head for the rest of the day. Thanks for listening and look for another Canna Insider episode soon. Take care. Bye-bye.